Hey GeoTrekkers, we're in the middle of an inspirational two-part podcast about Ola May's adventures and journeys. She has shared about a 12-year journey of personal discovery and growth that culminated in a 13-month, 9,000-mile bike adventure around Europe. During part one of the podcast with Ola May, we followed this adventurous woman from childhood into young adult in London, Chicago, back to London, and then on the cycling adventure. Part one ended around three months into her bike adventure when she was in Portugal in the autumn of 2021. Before we continue, we wanted to encourage you to please subscribe to the GeoTrek podcast. Your subscription helps us mark professional progress and form partnerships moving forward, which ensures a lot more exciting GeoTrek episodes in the future. Now let's pick up with part two of Cycling Around Europe with Ola May. I kept telling everyone like this is really important to me like I'm gonna make it spiritual journey but it didn't feel like that at first and then I met someone um, and he said to me wait for wait wait for like three month marker like he said to me something's gonna happen after those three months like you actually gonna feel like he said to me like your roots are cut off and you're just gonna feel this like sense of freedom. And he was on point, like around the time, you know, that I was on the road for three months, like all of a sudden I felt this, this lightness, this freedom, this strength. It was all in one and, you know, and everything. Um, it was quite incredible. And it's definitely, you know, it's the most life-changing thing that ever happened to me. Yeah, that's no, that's beautiful. It sounds like you really at that point were in, in the middle of this trip and going and it sounds like the beginning parts were behind you and you were discovering who you were and you were making a lot of distance. I mean, where were you three months into the trip? Three months in, I was around, gosh, I want to say uh, Portugal. So okay. I, I've cycled around 2000 miles, I think more or less if I'm doing the uh, conversion right. Um, so yeah, it was a couple of countries in for yeah. sure. And this is in the autumn. It would have been, I guess, uh, mid to late November as well. Ola, I wanted to ask you with physical strain, what were the biggest challenges for you? I mean, I know sometimes when people start riding long distance, they get what they call like saddle stores, like your butt can get sore. Was it that for you? Was it your back, your legs? I mean, when, when you physically had to push through, what were some of the, those physical challenges? In general, I think it's really important. It's like, you know, if you're going for a run, you make sure they have the right pair of shoes, right? So like for me, the bicycle, it's it's kind of the same. It, it really has to fit your body. And I've gotten mine as a, a second secondhand uh, godsend, I would call it. And it, it was just a bike that was perfectly made for me. I had a very a stiff saddle. It was a Brooks saddle. And so a lot of people would just come up to it and knock on it. It was a, like a leather uh, saddle, so it was very hard. And, and they were very surprised that I, am, I was not experiencing any any issues. And for the longest time, you know, because my back was constantly straight and the bike just fitted me, I had I had no issues with with my back. I had at some point after after th- three months, I had a little bit of issues with with my bottom. But other than that, I would say it was more of a general exhaustion. <laughs> just, just pushing just overall, just the cardio and pushing yeah, yourself. Yeah. yeah. 
So it's yeah. really an endurance so thing. Much. I mean, you talked about nine, 10 hours a day on the bike. I mean, that's just pushing yourself day after day. Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't, you know, no matter what you do for 10 or 12 hours a day, it's going to be tough. Yeah, <laughs> no. for sure. And Ola, I mean, it sounds like you worked your way across Northern Europe from East to West, got out to Portugal, and then you talked about eventually going towards Southern Europe. <laughs> I know at some point there, you're going to hit some big hills and mountains. What was that like when you really, where did you really hit your first big mountains and what was that like? Portugal, for sure. My first experience in Portugal. Poland, north of Poland is pretty flat and we're close to the, closer to the uh, sea rather than the mountains. And so I'm not, I, ha I haven't had that much experience of, of biking up the hill. And you have to think about also the weight of my, of my luggage that I had with me. And I had, you know, almost like the weight of me. So it would be around 130 pounds, I think, more or less, um, if I'm doing the conversion right. Um, and it was extremely difficult and with, to hit the hills. And I was going through like a pretty difficult time in my life as well because I kind of like broken up with someone and so it was a blessing in disguise I would say you know when I hit the hills and I was feeling really shitty mentally um, it was extremely challenging but at the same time you know it allowed me to express my anger or my disappointment and just instead of bottling it all up I, I just let it out and because I let it out, it was easier for me to get over things. And so I really, and I do really see it as a blessing in disguise because it was extremely, extremely hard. Um, and you're facing just very slow pace. You keep on going. Sometimes it's just so steep that you have to get off your bike and you have to cycle, you have to push the bike. And so it's very like, you know, it's a little bit of an ordeal. But at the end of the day, I think it, it just pays off. Did you ever feel discouraged like, oh, wow, in the last three hours, I barely covered distance because the mountains are so steep? Or were you able to kind of keep it in perspective like, okay, I'm just up against a bigger challenge today. I'm not going to expect the same thing as if I was on flat ground. It's difficult for me to just let go completely. And so and once you get into a hilly terrain, uh, you probably can find some abs that show you exactly the terrain and you know exactly what to expect but I didn't so it was kind of like you know I hope I'm gonna get to the top of this hill and I hope there there is just like flat land after that but honestly I didn't know and so it was just going back and forth you know once I thought I have no no more strength in me but then there was another hill so we just find more strength and it's kind of you know going back and forth like that yeah um all the time um, and you, you talked before about looking in your past to think about things you've overcome. I'm sure once you started climbing enough mountains, you're like, okay, I've done this before. I, you know, um, it sounds like it, I'm sure it's something you had to face a lot, not just in Portugal, but also in France and Italy and mountains were probably something you, you faced for quite a bit of your trip, right? I faced and I feared for sure. Um, there was definitely a time where after Portugal, after my first encounter with really heavy and tricky terrain, I was consciously avoiding it. I was like, this is just not worth it, you know? It was yeah. a beautiful experience, but let it be just the sole experience and let's move on. But um, but you just, you can't avoid it. You're gonna face it one, one way or another. Um, you go slow, you, you get frustrated, but as you said, you 
someone once said to me that you don't have to, you know, it's an, it's not a race, so I can go at my own pace. And once I kind of chilled and started to think that way, it became a little bit easier. It still was challenging, um, especially when I was cycling in really high temperatures. But at some point, you know, you just you kind of get used to it, and you know that you have, you know, you, you can do it and you can handle it. Ola, let's talk a little bit about these high temperatures. With, with GeoTrack, we're really interested in understanding the impacts of extreme weather on people and how people push through and endure through extreme weather and climate. So, I mean, what were some of these high temperatures you faced? With, I, I would imagine this was getting into early to mid um, 2021. I mean, where did you face the high temperatures and then how did you adapt and push through that? So, I was, this past year, uh, we actually hit the highest temperature in Europe um, ever. So it was like a legendary, uh, legendary heat wave. And gosh, I am probably not going to be able to like do the conversion right. But it was definitely over 100 Fahrenheit. It was like 48 and a half uh, degree or like almost 50 degrees in Celsius. Yeah, and 50 extremely. Celsius is like 122 Fahrenheit. So it was probably like okay. getting close to 120 Fahrenheit in Europe this past summer. That's so, extremely hot. Very hot. It's, um, again, it's a record temperature. Uh, and it was in Sicily and Syracuse um, this, this past summer. And I was around that area at that time. It's, it's a type of a heat that I've never experienced before. And I think a lot of people haven't really because, you know, it's clearly a sign of the environmental decline that we're experiencing. Um, it's not natural to have those types of temperatures. And it became really difficult. It became really exhausting to, to do anything in the heat, uh, including just sitting in the shadow, you know, because like once, once you go over 100 Fahrenheit, it's like there's very little that you can do and still be comfortable. Um, so I would wake up at the break of dawn, I would ride for, depending how I felt and depending where I was, but I would try to cover about like 35 miles or so, 40 miles in the, in the morning. And then around 11 or noon, I, I would need to stop and I would need to stop for sometimes five, six hours. Um, and I, it, again, like I would try to cool myself down with water, I would hide in places where no one could see me and I would like literally strip naked and pour water down my head and after two minutes I would be dry or dry and sweaty and it was just I, I couldn't really do anything I couldn't sleep because it was uncomfortable um, sometimes if I found a place I could hop into the into the sea but again it was just a temporary relief and then it would become hot again and so after the break, in the evening, I would add another like 10 miles because that's where the weather cooled down enough. But again, I, I remember a lot of times just um, sleep, sleeping in the tent because once the weather became really nice, I would switch into, you know, instead of finding host, I would just sleep in the tent. And I just remember, you know, just again, sleeping naked in a the, in the tent and just just like wiping sweat off of my body because like, still it's night, there's no sun, but it's just so damn hot. That it's, it's really difficult. I always, especially 
especially after spending a couple of winters in Chicago, I used to say that, you know what, I can handle, I can handle any heat, just like, just, just not winter. Winter was like the, 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 the hardest, the, tough, the toughest thing for me, the, the cold. But after um, the summer in, in the south of Italy, I kind of started to question it because, uh, yeah, just heat that I've never experienced before. Yeah, and heat, you know, you can only take off so many clothes. You know, with, with cold, you can't always add more layers and things with heat. Once you've stripped down pretty far, what else can you do, right? Um, yeah. It sounds like you adapted by trying to ride early morning and in the evening, but giving yourself a break midday and, and through the afternoon, which, which makes sense. What about headwinds? Did you ever face really persistent headwinds that just were holding you back or was that not really an issue? I'm laughing to myself because obviously there were times where the headwind was just such a, I don't know if I can swear on this podcast, but I will. It was just such a bitch, you know? It's just so frustrating because you're really moving at the at your grandma's pace. You know, you're not really making any progress. You're just getting continually more and more frustrated. And I always kind of, you know, I would ask myself a question: What is worse, like a whole day of of pouring, of raining cats and dogs, or the hand wind? And depending on what I was facing, I would say one or the other. But they both were really difficult to to work with. Really difficult. To work with because you know after a full day of rain when you're all wet and you to jump into a tent it's just not going to be very pleasant everything's wet it just doesn't feel good and with the headwind you're just not making any progress and then you know you're just getting frustrated so um it wouldn't be that often i think the ones that i remember the most were in the netherlands and that's because it's such a flat area and like so little is happening there in terms of the uh, of the environment and the surroundings you have like you know it's flat and empty and so there's like literally nothing that can that you can hide after like to avoid the the wind and so i kind of remember the the, the the north of europe being the windiest i would say yeah um no it, it can get really windy there with the wind off the north north sea or, or the baltic sea and then obviously especially if you're going into the wind you know your forward speed is creating a wind and then you have a wind opposing you and it's all of a sudden like you said you feel like you're not going very far at all um Ola, what yeah, about road conditions did did you did you face any of these countries i mean did they typically have similar road conditions from one country to another were there some countries that had better pavement or better bike lanes or was it pretty consistent from one country to the next i'd say it was in terms of bike lanes it was consistently shitty um most of the places that I went through i when they had because the problem with building bike lanes i think is the people who build them they're not they're not cyclists so they have no idea what they're doing and so like when you're in a city and you have the situation where you have the bike lane and it's cool because you know it's a bike lane so you can feel a little safer but it just goes up and down you know every like every gauge you kind of lower down and because i had my panniers on me like you know it just like a it, it goes like a rattle you know i just this is just a lot of noise. It slows me down. It just, it serves no purpose. And if someone is just like, you know, going for, uh, to the store and they're going for like, you know, one mile or whatnot, it's cool. But if I'm trying to cover any bigger distances, it's just, it's useless. And so I would, I would just go on the, on the road. And there were a lot of people who did not like that. And they would hunk at me, 
you know, like pointing like here's the here's the bike lane. But and I would get into a few arguments with the drivers because I would get so frustrated. I'm like, I can't cycle on this because I'm like ten times slower and it's actually you know, it's it's not it's it's no good to my bike because like the quality of the of the pavement is just not up to par. Um and and so you know, if I had a choice, I would go into the roads. I would even go into, uh, you know, not that I'm rec recommending that to anyone, but I would go onto highways even, you know, because like imagine there was this one situation I had like, I had to cycle for 10 miles over like a dirt road that's full of really sharp rocks that are a perfect recipe for, for a flat tire. And right next to me, is like a freaking empty highway that no one uses because it's the middle of pandemic and everyone stays at home. Ola, did you come across and make any friends on the trip that wanted to join you? Did anybody say, hey, I'll, I'll ride with you to the next town or anything like that? Did you have people join you at all? Or were you always riding all alone? I, the longest I have, most, most of the time I would say no to those people because I was very particular about doing the trip on my own. Um, but there was this one guy, and I wrote with him for a whole two days. He was a German guy who happened to go the same direction. And we shared, yeah, probably like 100 miles or something like that together. And it was very different because, you know, we're doing quite long distances, especially the second day. And I felt like he was the support that I was really missing. You know, I didn't realize like how, because you get all up in your head when you're on your own, when you have someone in front of you, he's either like pulling you, you know, and you go a little faster or you feel like you're not alone, but mentally it just does something to you. So um, even though it was only two days, I did enjoy the, the mental support that I've gotten just by being in somebody else's company. But at the same time, it was just a very different vibe, very different type of trip, you know, if I was to go with someone else. Ola, were other people encouraging you from, you know, by social media or email or a text message? I mean, were you hearing from people, friends or family, just that were giving you encouragement? Did you feel supported or sometimes did you feel very alone as you were out there? I've gotten a massive amount of support from people. Plus, some of them were saying to me, because, you know, it was like the second wave um, of the pandemic. And so a lot of people were telling me, because I kept posting, and I heard that they felt like they were traveling with me. So that was the support. That was one of the reasons why I went on for so long, because I felt like, hey, like, this is bigger than me. This is not only, you know, Ola going around Europe, but this is actually like showing, showing people an example that a lot of times when they say, well, it's not possible. You shouldn't do that. They're, you know, it's, you're not going to be able to cross the borders, whatnot. And you show them that actually, you know, you can, if you try it hard enough, if you like, willing to compromise that sets a good example you know not only to myself but for all of those people who are watching me that's a really good context you're right it was the pandemic people felt stuck at home and the fact that you're out exploring uh, were you posting updates to social media how were you keeping people in the loop or you know in touch with your progress and where you were so in the second after six months i've decided uh, you know, and six months was my mark for like, that's how long I, I plan to go on a trip for. 
But then after six months, I decided to um, start a blog. And it was beautiful in terms of the material that I produce. You know, I'm a photographer. And so I, at some point, I've gotten a drone. And I had my big camera with me and my phone. And so I was, like, producing stuff all around. And it was amazing. However, at some point, I started to feel a little bit like as if I was looking at the world around me through a digital screen. And that became problematic, you know. If I was to do the trip again, the one thing that would probably changed, you know, even though I was updating people about everything that was happening, that was and that was awesome. But personally, I felt like I could definitely benefit from disconnecting from social media. So, you know, pluses and you know, pros and cons of of, of both approaches. If you could do it again, would you maybe do like a weekly update or a monthly update or, you know, some balance of keeping people in, um, connected, yes. but then not feeling the pressure to be doing, because with social media, sometimes there's this pressure to constantly be posting updates and, and that, did you feel in a way that that could detract from you just living in the moment and giving yourself space just to think and, and not having pressure? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I keep high standards for myself. So I've tried with the weekly updates, but it ended up, you know, me sitting in front of the computer for like a full day or a day and a half and just devoting that time to like produce material because, you know, I wanted, um, I wanted the pictures to be a certain way. And there is a lot of material that you produce, you know, because like there are beautiful views, you meet beautiful people all around. So like things that are happening, you know, on a daily basis. I'm not sure what would be the perfect balance, as you call it, for myself. Um, I would definitely not stray away from producing, still, you know, shooting and, and, and taking pictures and taking videos because it's just something that's in my DNA and I love to do that. But at the same time, maybe my solution would be to create everything and then just go over it once I'm back home, you know, maybe. I don't know. I, I'm really not sure what would be the perfect way of approaching it. I see what you're saying, perhaps, you know, just keeping the camera out, recording and capturing content when you're out there on the trip, but then maybe waiting to produce it and share it after. Like you said, it's hard to know exactly. Um, and I'm sure you tried your best to find that, you know, that balance, but, um, you know, so much was happening. And I, I'd imagine you were a big in inspiration and encouragement to people too, that felt trapped in the pandemic. Absolutely. I, you know, I've gotten so many good feedbacks from them and I, I I was just seeing that they were feeding off of my energy and I had a lot of that energy because even even when I hit the wall and I was feeling down like you know people were people kept talking to me and the nature was really uplifting me and frankly when um when my trip started to you know lean towards the end when I needed to have a little bit of support i i found a little friend and um that actually because you asked me about the people that wrote with me so i had this one guy who wrote with me for two days but then i had an animal that wrote with me for um i think a little over over a month tell us about this animal what, yeah. what was the animal so i found in the south of italy i found a cat and i took the cat on the bike and we cycled together. So he's a traveler. So he's a he's a cycling cat, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> and this was so. What's his name? What did you name him? Frederick. Did he like getting on the bike? What What was that like getting him on the bike? 
he did not. <laughs> he he wanted to have nothing to do with the bike at first. I mean, I found him and he was extremely thin and his like uh, tail was cut off, so he was in a really bad shape. Um, and I took him to the vet, and uh, it turned out that he needed to be on antibiotic to you know uh, prevent from any infection. And so we we needed to stop for like two weeks, and I had two weeks to figure figure out how to like get back home with a cat. And so I've gotten a little basket that I installed in the front of the bike, and I laid it with like the best sweater that I had, right? And once we were back on the road, Frederick was like, nah, this is not happening. Like, I don't like it. So he did not like it. And the only way that he would be happy traveling was when I just hung a, a backpack in front of me and he would sit in it like as a you know kangaroo in a, in a pouch. And that's when he was happy. But eventually a vet helped me with like putting a little net over the, the basket. And so I could properly like look him in with my love. So Ola, there you are with Frederick. You're in Italy and you said at some point you transitioned really into, you know, wanting to go home. Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, we we're already talking about being on the road for a, for a year. That's a year of like cycling almost every day. That's, uh, that can be quite exhausting. And I, I don't know, I started like, I started to feel like the, the trip and I, you know, people kept telling me, how long are you going to go for? How long, you know, are you going to be on the road? And I had no answer. I said to them, look, like there's going to be a point. And I, again, I lean into the intuition, but there's going to be a point where I'm just, I'm, I'm going to know. And I was in the South of Italy where all of a sudden I started to feel like this might be, this might be the end, but I was also very stubborn. So I wanted to, I was like, you know what? I'm already like so much in. I want to make a loop like I actually want to cycle back home on the bike I don't want to take a train you know I don't want to I don't want to cheat and and then when I found the the cat you know it wasn't solely me that I was responsible for and I, I know it might sound like a you know crazy mom, cat mama talk but you know I had a creature that I had to be responsible for uh, I had a creature that I had to care for and you know, even though he's Frederick got gotten used to being on the bike, he would just snuggle in um, under the under the sweater, and he would be a happy camper. But I also knew that it wasn't you know, it wasn't a natural habitat for a cat. I was like, I need to get him back home on the sofa, you know, nice and cozy. And so we started to go back home. So the the very last phase of my trip, I always say that I I didn't really travel then. I was I was getting both of us back home and there was mission I was very determined so I was doing like probably around the 50 uh, miles a day like every day so like you know in, a, in, a, in 10 days I went from the south of Italy to the north of Italy so I was covering pretty big um, distances and I was trying to get get us back home Wow. So you really had a mission. You were like, you want to get home. And so this is more than a year. Was this then like late in 2021, like getting into late autumn? It was like September last, last year. Okay. So, and you explained where you really hit the hottest weather was in Southern Italy, extremely hot that in the summer, then you met Frederick. And then this is getting into September and you're feeling like you want to be home. And there's probably some of the seasonal clock as well, right? You don't want to be riding the bicycle yeah. in December and January in Poland, right? 
I'm glad that you're saying that because, you know, when I mentioned that I had to stop for like two weeks with Frederick so that he heals up a little, he healed up a little bit. I was in the South and I was um, among like a crowd of kids, you know, I was staying in this like organic farm, amazing place, amazing people. And the kids there fell in love with me and Frederick and they didn't want to let us go. And I was trying to explain to them, look, September may or may not be a weather, you know, to bike in. And so I, I definitely felt, you know, the burden of the clock going and um, I needed to get back home. It was quite complicated too because I found the cat and I initially meant to go from the south of Italy to Greece and kind of go through the Balkan area. But then with the cat, turns out the cat needs more documents than I do, right? So all of a sudden I'm like, holy cow, I have to like change up my, my, my route. And I thought, well, it's going to be much easier to smuggle a cat without papers through land rather than a ferry. And so we decided to go, you know, in, in, in the north. And once we got into Slovenia and we were in the mountains, like I definitely felt, you know, a, a brisk blow of the wind on my face. And I definitely realized that, hey, I, I probably got another month or so before I get back home and before it actually gets like pretty unpleasant. Uh, Ola, you mentioned about papers at borders. I mean, even before Frederick, did you have any issues at international borders because of the pandemic uh, with people crossing from one country to another? Did that ever come up anywhere? So it was quite stressful for me because I can say that for the most part, I did not have any issues. But it was always stressful because, like, no one could like give me, uh, no one could assure me that I was not going to find any obstacles, you know, crossing the the border. Um, and so it was always a little bit stressful. You know, regions were closing down, and a lot of people would like just look at me like I was completely mad, or almost as if I was like lying to them because they said. You know, they would watch TV and they would see closed regions and, and, and they kept telling me, like, you can't go through this part or that part. Like, they're not going to let you in. But for some reason, being on the bike, I've kind of gotten under the radar. And so I was able to, you know, move around without much issues, which changed in the south of Portugal when I was trying to cross over to Spain. Um, There's a natural border there, a river. And so there was a bridge and it was the time, it was uh, February, 2021. So they were pretty strict about the rules. And, you know, at the border I was asked for papers and the policeman just said to me, like in his, in his broken English, bike no possible. And, you know, and he, and he sent me back. And I remember just going off the bridge and thinking to myself, well, because my mom used to tell tell me that um, even if they're not letting you in through the door, always try the windows, you know? So I, I kind of had this approach of finding the alternative. And uh, that part of Portugal is beautiful, very isolated and not a lot of houses and people around. And so it took me another 50 miles to like go and find another bridge. And there I kind of, you know, turned into a criminal. It's where my smooth criminal move begins because I, th there was another bridge and everything was, you know, barricaded. So there was no, technically there was no going, um, going through, but I just went, it was a small little town and I decided that I'm not, that I'm not hurting anyone. You know, I'm 
for the most part, I'm spending my time on my own. I'm like camping, you know. I'm, so I, I just kind of threw the bike over the the bridge, the barricades, and you know, run as fast as I could, and I managed to do that. And but thankfully, it was the only time that I actually physically had to like break through some some you know barricades to get into the country. And for the rest, for the rest, it was more. You know, it was a little iffy around Spain and uh, France because technically it was a closed area too. There, um, there were also like cement blocks on the road. I felt a little less guilty though because there were a lot of people going back and forth, a lot of cyclists, yeah. it's like a popular path. And Ola, I can relate to you in a way. I do a lot of work in hurricane zones. I like to get in before a hurricane mm -hmm. and document it. And people often ask me like, isn't that dangerous? What's the, the most difficult part? I've never felt in fear or struggled with the winds or the floods or it's not the physical things. It's always the security perimeter that people want to shut down a perimeter and make secure and not let you pass on the road. That's always my biggest trouble is getting into a place where they don't want to let me in. Or I, I understand that they're under orders to keep people out. But then I'm like, I'm just here for a day or two. I'm a scientist. I want to document the hurricane and leave. I'm not I'm not going to steal anything. I'm not going to loot. You know, look, I have published papers, you know, but it's, it's always the perimeters and the security that, and I'm like, I'm not going to hurt anyone. I just want to get through here and, and hopefully they'll let me in. Uh, something I also at these perimeters and these borders, they like to know specifically where are you coming from? Where are you going to? How long are you staying? Mm -hmm. They want to know very specifics. You're on this trip that's very, very free, and you don't even know exactly how long you're staying. You don't know exactly where you're going. Did that create some issues sometimes at borders where they think like, okay, you have to be lying, like, you know, tell us where you're going, and maybe you don't even know beyond the next day, right? Absolutely. I, I've definitely gotten this strange look um, on that border in, in Portugal where, you know, a guy looks at me, I'm like, I'm from Poland, I'm cycling around. He's like, what is she, what is she talking about? She, she must be high or something. Um, but other than that, you know, out of the 14 borders that I, I, I crossed, that was the only one where I saw anybody. So for the most part, I don't know if it was the roads that I was using, but they were quite empty and there was no one there, no, you know, welcoming committee or anything like that. But just to speak to what you just said about um, the restrictions that we a lot of times face in, in, in those situations, I am not, you know, um, encouraging anyone to like break the law or anything like that but what i do have a slight problem with is when um there is just a rule and people who follow that rule they use no critical thinking you know like for me there should always be a time and place for certain things and also i would love to have the free like same with you like if you're going in and you're like you know doing your research on the hurricanes and stuff it is your safety that you're risking. Nobody else's really, right? So you should have the freedom to make your own choices. And when I see, you know, the, the government trying to like mess with my, with my freedom, you know, it makes me feel a little uncomfortable. Yeah, I completely identify with that. And clearly you're not a threat to anyone. You're on a bike, you know, um, and even in the pandemic, you're spending a lot of time alone, you know. Um, so like you said, if you can critically think that through, this person isn't a danger or threat really, you know. Um, and, and obviously, you're, you're far from home. I mean, what are you going to do? You have to, 
past these borders and everything. Um, I admire your courage and your um, quick thinking to adapt and be flexible with that. To go back to, so you're in Italy, you're, you're trying to get back home with Frederick. Was, I mean, what stands out to you about that last part of your trip as you were trying to make progress home? Did you feel more rushed? Um, were there times where you felt like you could relax and take an extra day or two? Or did you feel like that part was a little more rushed getting back home? It was definitely rushed. It was, I just knew that I was done. So the only reason really that I continued was because, as I said before, I was very stubborn and I wanted to, I wanted to have the experience of returning home using, you know, only my own muscle strength. And it was very important. And I know it sounds a little, you know, like ego talk because she just wants to do that. But maybe it was more than that. Because when I look at the time that I've actually returned and the, the, the moment that it created, it was just so valuable that I think I, I have made the best decision because truly returning and you know, seeing the, the road sign for my hometown and just going into the forest was like such a spiritual experience for me because, you know, for me, it wasn't a return from 13 months on, on, on the bike, but you know, we talk about how I moved out of Poland when I was like 18, I moved to London. It was really returned from that, you know, from an escape that lasted like almost 12 years. So it was an extremely important moment in my life. So it sounds like this was part of a bigger picture of you exploring and not only exploring the world, but exploring yourself and kind of figuring out who you are as a person. It sounds like London, Chicago, and then, you know, London again with the pandemic and then this amazing bike trip. Ola, what was your final distance in, in kilometers or miles? Um, it's hard to tell exactly because I didn't have one of those measuring devices. But um, I tried to keep track of, of, of the numbers. So it's about, I think in miles would be about 9,000 miles or so. Wow, that is, that is amazing. It's so inspirational too. Like you said, you started this out just everything aligned in your life to take this trip. It wasn't like you planned this out for years. It wasn't like you had the best equipment prepared. Sounds like the moment was right. And you took the adventure even without knowing a lot of the details, you know, and ended up covering 9,000 miles in, in 13 months. What was that like to coast into your hometown then? I mean, were you overwhelmed with emotion? Were you all alone? Were people waiting for you? I mean, did, did the news pick this up or anyone, or just people in your town? Or was it, did you even end kind of more alone as well? So it's interesting because um, during the trip, you know, I experienced a lot of low moments where I was just tired, physically and mentally tired. And when I had no more strength in me, I would lean onto the fantasy of returning back home and like just iman imagining this grand party, you know, with a lot of people, a lot of music and just arriving home and like how it's going to feel like and how much energy is going to take me and how, you know, moving is going to be. And so I had this image of a big, big party. And then I get back home and it's the last day and, you know, we're, we're cycling we're only a few miles away from home and I, and I go into the forest. So normally, as I said before, I would avoid a dirt roads at all costs. But just being a few miles away from home, I just go right into the forest where, you know, you have very uneven um, roads. And, and I, I won't 
nobody to come and greet me. I just want to have this moment, like very, you know, egoistical, but I want to have this moment for, you know, to myself. And so I just remember this, like everything slowed down, everything just went quiet. And it was a gray day, but I went into the forest, the forest that like I've realized that my true home is like here where the forest is. Like I'm very connected to this place. And then for like a split of a second almost, for a few minutes, like the sky cleared up. And so I see this like, I've seen the forest the way I've never seen it before. And I went through, you know, gosh, half of Europe and I've seen a lot of breathtaking places. But for some reason, just standing in that forest, you know, surrounded by moss and ferns and everything, that was the most beautiful thing that I've ever seen in my life. And I just, it was almost like, this trip has given me uh, a new pair of, of eyes and I could look at the things that I knew so well and I grew up with and see them in a completely different way. And it really, it felt like this major return to, to, my, to my roots, to my home. Um, yeah, it kind of, you know, even my, my voice is trembling a little bit talking about it because it was just so beautiful. It was just quiet, quiet. And then that, I come that back moment. Home. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. And, um, and there was just this, because I, I, you know, I listen to a lot of people, travelers who go around the world and, and I did hear it before on numerous occasions, actually, that people return from those big trips and they have this big goal and then arrive to the finish line and they feel empty. Like I had the complete opposite experience. I felt this overwhelming sense of gratitude in me I was like oh my god 13 months on the road I came back alive with the cats like this is unreal so yeah definitely one of the most beautiful moments of my life yeah Ola as we wrap up here this is a very inspirational story to many people how can people learn more about it you said you're working on a book how can people interact with you and find you so you can essentially just type in uh you know Ola May and probably my Instagram my website is gonna pop up and yeah on the website there is the blog there there are if you subscribe to the newsletter I give you an update about you know anything that happening is is happening in my life Hopefully the book is going to come out soon and uh, there's also a way to support it or if there are any people who could possibly help out with the publishing uh, process, of course, they're very welcome to reach out to me. Um, yeah, but other than that, uh, all the information is on the website and on my Instagram at Ola, Ola May Photo. Well, thank you so much for coming on the GeoTrek podcast. I know this inspired me and I can't wait to read your book and uh, just learn more about you and best wishes on your future endeavors. And I have a feeling you have a heart of an explorer and an adventurer. So I have a feeling you have a lot more exploring and discovering to go. I, I do have a lot of ideas, so we'll see where they're going to take me. Pleasure talking to you. Thank you for your time. Wow, what an inspirational two-part podcast with Ola May. We love adventure travel and exploring at GeoTrek, so we just know these episodes will be all-time fan favorites. As I look back on the podcast with Ola May, I have two reflection questions for our listeners. One of the most amazing things about her story is that she did not plan extensively for this trip. Situations changed in her life and she saw an opportunity to take this amazing cycling adventure without really knowing the details of where she would go 
or how long it would take. That perspective encouraged me because it taught me that we don't have to have everything figured out to explore the world and embark on amazing adventures. What about you? How did that perspective encourage you to dream about future travel or excursions? The second thing I wanted to bring up, this is an amazing moment in the podcast when she comes back to her hometown after 13 months on the bike and really wrapping up a 12 year journey of exploration and growth. And, you know, she got back to her local forest and it just looks so different and beautiful to her. Have you left your hometown for an extended period of time? How did you change as a person? And how did how did everything look differently when you returned? Share your answers on our social media group. It's called GeoTrek the Community in Facebook. I'm gonna do a better job about contributing to this site myself. So I'll share my answers first. I can't wait to read your responses. Again, thank you so much, Olame, for sharing your story on the GeoTrek podcast. And thank you to our faithful listeners for your continued interest and support. On behalf of the GeoTrek production team, this is Dr. Hal signing off until the next episode of the GeoTrek podcast. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Hal. Thank you so much for listening to the GeoTrek podcast. If you're wondering how we come up with such interesting topics each week, we rely on an amazing global community to help direct our scientific fieldwork, articles, and podcasts. If you have an idea for a topic or can connect us to an outstanding future podcast guest, please reach out to us on our website at geo-trek.com or on our Facebook group called GeoTrek the Community. On behalf of our GeoTrek production team, this is Dr. Hal. I'll catch you on the next episode of the GeoTrek podcast.